This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans that bleed two-tone blue. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. With me tonight, Zach Foster's favorite host of the show, Matt Necrone. How you doing, Matt? I've never heard of that guy. Who the fuck is that? (laughs) Also with me, the mastermind of the greatest PSA ever, Glenn Lotzenheiser. What's up, Glenn? Apparently some people didn't listen. How how you going to get shot in your foot? All right, all right. Um, we have a big show for you. Very excited. The second half of the show, we're going to have on former Tennessee Titans wide receiver Drew Bennett. Very excited to sit down with him. Uh, but first, let's jump into the show like we always do with the mailbag. We have a, some pretty good questions here tonight, guys. First one, and this one's an interesting one. Dawson Leverett asks, if you could pick one offensive player and one defensive player from any of our division rivals to join the team, who would it be? Last year, we would have said J.J. Watt, but uh, his health questions, you know, he, he's moving down the list. I, I still want somebody like a J.J. Watt, though, that I can put on that D-line uh, just to help out uh, Jarrell Casey. So I'm going to go say Jadavion Clowney. He's not my favorite defensive lineman, but in this division, I'll take I'll, I'll take uh, Jadavion Clowney. I think he could help us pressure the quarterback a little bit, put him over on that side. And, you know, if, if I'm going offense, it's a little bit harder question for me. Given what we've added to our offense this year, I would have easily said T.Y. Hilton before, and I probably have to stick with him because we, we've got you know the, the tall possession type receivers now. So I'm still going to say T.Y. Hilton. Uh, it's up for me. I would say as far as defense goes, even though I don't think his career will be quite as long as the uh, the typical star linebacker would normally have because of his previous injury. I'll go Miles Jack in the middle linebacker spot. I think, obviously, the kid's got a, a lot of potential. Now, granted, I don't know how many years he's going to play healthy, but if we could shore up that middle linebacker spot, that's probably where I would go. And you think about offensive players, you know, obviously, I, I could name a no-name guard to fill in for Josh Klein or something like that, which would probably be the smart thing to do. But otherwise, you know, you, you think about the receivers in the division, and T.Y. Hilton obviously comes to mind. You know, we're we're pretty much set when it comes to offensive weapons, but I think maybe our weakest spot on the offense would probably be our guard spot. So I'd, I'd probably go there, and I don't know any of their names. So random guard. <laughs> random guard. Let's start here. <laughs> I was thinking the same way you were thinking on, on defense, Glenn. You know, it would have been J.J. Watt, but you're really not sure about his health coming back. And we, we've heard talk that he's getting close to the end of his career. He's said before that he doesn't know how long he's going to play. So that's obviously a, a big downgrade for him. Jadavion Clown, he, you know, he didn't rack up sacks last year. I think he had like six and a half or six sacks, something like that last year. But uh, he's really disruptive. I mean, he did get in the backfield a lot. And if you had a guy like that on our defensive line, if you could put him – you know, on Derek Morgan's side, and I was looking up the stats, guys, and 
I feel like we've been a little too hard on Derek Morgan. He had 10 sacks last year, which only puts him a sack and a half behind Arakpo last year. So, But if you put Clowney on that side, so you have Jarrell Casey coming off one end, Clowney coming off one end, and then uh, behind him you have Arakpo and Morgan. I mean, that would be deadly. That pass rush would be nasty. So I think it would have to be that. Um, I thought about Jalen Ramsey, to be honest. He's young, very talented. But I think I'd rather have a dominant pass rusher than a guy that's a really good cornerback. So on offense, it's going to be consensus. I'm going with T.Y. Hilton. We don't, you know, I thought about going someone with a guard, but we don't have anybody, I think, that's an elite guard in our division right now. So that's why I kind of shot away from that. You have to go wide receiver then, you know, and T.Y. Hilton, obviously, the best wide receiver in the division. So, you know, that one you're kind of stuck at because on, on offense, we really don't need anything else from anybody in our division. We're better than everybody else in our division at, at pretty much every other offensive position besides wide receiver. Yeah, I, I looked at you know possibly Miles Jack, but I haven't seen the man on the field yet, so I, I just couldn't put him in there because that was my first thought. Miles Jack, let's throw him in the middle linebacker spot, but then I was like, I've never seen the man play. So I, I couldn't stick him in there, and I thought about Ramsey because I think he's going to be one of the very best in the league at some point. But I, I want to improve our pass rush more than anything else. I think that fixes so many other problems that I, I had to go with Clowney for that. You know what I just learned after recent events of Dante Fowler getting arrested? So he's been around two years. Obviously, his first year he was out the whole year with injury. He's only started, I believe, what, two games his career and really has not made an impact. That was the number three overall selection, and doesn't look like he's going to be panning out. Oh, they're nervous. Jags fans are nervous. I have a good friend of mine that's a diehard Jags fan, and uh, me and him always go back and forth talking shit, obviously, but he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely worried. He's like, I feel like you guys are in the same situation with Kevin Dodd, only we spent a, fir- a very early first-round pick rather than a second-round pick on a guy. Um, they're definitely nervous about it because he hasn't. He hasn't panned out. He's either been injured or getting on off-the-field incidents, and I think – if I'm not mistaken, um, this is not me looking it up. I think it's one game, Matt, that he has started. You may be right. Yeah, I'm not sure what. It, yeah, I just saw it. he he's been in games, but hasn't started many at all. And I mean, he hasn't he hasn't been a factor at, at all. Let's jump to the next question here from Hall of Famer Tyler Mustin. How <laughs> often do you think Dick LeBeau utilizes the rookies in an effort to, to cover tight ends this year? And a follow up to that. Do you think Cyprian is going to be part of that rotation as well? Well, I, I think we all expect Brown to be involved in the covering of the tight ends. So I think as much as LeBeau doesn't usually use rookies a lot, I think Brown gets a high usage rate. So we'll, we'll see some of that. Cyprian, any of the safeties are going to be involved in trying to shut down the tight end because that was our Achilles heel last year. I, now we're worried about the outside of, of the uh, the secondary as well. But shutting down the tight end and preventing those easy passes over the middle is going to be a huge deal. So anybody who can go out there and play is going to get their reps. And I don't think LeBeau cares at all what your experience level is. At this point, you're right. You know, he's, he's been known not to lean on rookies, but he has gone through a season where we, you know, we had to play Parrish Cox. We had to play guys that didn't belong on the field to be 100% honest. I think that, you know, he is going to rely. One thing he did break the trend with last year was playing Kevin Byard, which I'm all about. And I think we're really going to see an improvement from Byard this season. But he has to rely on these rookies. And we have to get 
Brown into into the rotation, and and hopefully he does fill in for maybe some of the middle linebacker. I've said this, you know, each week, but I really want to see him in an inside position as opposed to the outside. Keep our pass rushers on the field, uh, but he he's got to do it. I do see Cyprian in a different rotation a lot this this season. I think we're in a good position to where we have to use all of our guys because we have we have good key pieces to to a puzzle that I think we're going to see a lot of production this season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think that you're going to be in a situation where you have to use Brown just because I don't think we have anybody there that can cover tight ends effectively. We saw it last year. I don't think we've changed enough that it's really going to uh, you know make a huge difference. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a big part of the way we cover tight ends. And as for Cyprian, he's okay in coverage. He's he's more of a run stopper, and that's why we brought him in is because he, he does. He's really good against the run. He's one of the best safeties in the league against the run. So if we're using him against tight ends, I think that's saying more about our linebackers than it is about Cyprian's skill to cover tight ends. I think that's... I want to play here and there, yeah, but if it's the majority we're going the Cyprian for, we're in bad shape. All right, moving on to the next one here, guys. This one, I might pronounce your name wrong, man, and I'm sorry in advance if I do. Uh, John Drick Gurdry uh, asked this one, Who wins the battle between Adoree Jackson and LaShawn Sims to be the starter on the other side of Logan Ryan? Or do you see a rotation all season long? Uh, I think they're going to try to get their starters figured out early with, with a young and completely remade secondary. I I think they're going to try not to rotate guys too much because they need them to get on the field and learn as fast as they can and rotating them in and out. Not going to work. The only real veteran we've got back there is Logan Ryan and he's never played for the Titans before. So I think they're going to try to establish in the preseason exactly who's going to be the starters. And they're going to stay out there as much as they can leave them on the field and just you know, trial by fire, learn as fast as you can, be ready for the playoffs. Yeah, hard to argue that. I think that's probably what they'll do. I do think LaShawn Sims has the upper hand against Jackson at this moment. It's still extremely early. Nothing's even happened yet. I'm going to make a better attempt at this guy's name. I believe it's Jondrick Guidry, and I'm pretty sure that's correct. So, Jondrick, I appreciate your comment, man, and Ryan will do better. But um, Ryan will try yeah. to do better. Don't make any fucking <laughs> – don't put me on the spot. I'll try to do better. <laughs> we know words. That's what we do here. So we're going to assume that, you know, Logan Ryan will be on the outside, even though that may not be where he's best suited. We we got we to see different rotations. I think LaShawn's probably going to start week one on the outside. We're, we're definitely going to see some of Adoree out there as well. We just got to see what works, really. Get get a good chemistry built and just go with that. Hopefully we can get it running. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of LaShawn Sims early. I think he's just – he's been in the system for a year. Adoree Jackson hasn't. Sims is really good at mirroring and, and sticking with the receiver. You look at even the passes that were completed against Sims. He's there. He's just not getting his head around. You know, that's the problem with Sims is he's right there. He's right up on the guy. He's bodying the guy. Uh, but he just doesn't get his head around in time to make the play. Adoree's going to be a different issue with him covering because the athletic ability is obviously there, and we've talked about this on the show. His instincts aren't there yet as a cornerback. His footwork's not there as a cornerback. You know, so he's going to be the guy that 
he's going to annihilate duck balls. Those, those weak-ass floater passes that don't need to be floated, that's when you're going to see a Dory Jackson make his money. So I'm really excited to play the Texans this year because <laughs> I know that you know Tom Savage is going to be throwing a lot of those. But Dory Jackson is going to be the guy that gets himself in trouble and then tries to get back with his athletic, athleticism. LaShawn Sims is going to be the guy that's there to make the play. He just needs to learn to get his head around. So I would rather have the guy that's there, and I think most people would. Sims will be the starter, I think, week one. And this is going to be a rotation. I think you're going to see a lot of rotation until they find something that works, and then I think you see them stick with that for the most part through the rest of the season. Uh, but, you know, next week... On Saturday, training camp starts. Next, Our next show, we're going to be talking about the camp battles to watch out for, and this is definitely one that we'll be talking about. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that the secondary is the big issue this year, and we're all going to be looking at it and wanting to know what's going on with it. And like you said, I think Sims has got the upper hand for the starter job, but he's going to have to prove it in training camp and, and the preseason because they're going to put whoever gives you the best chance to win on the field. And while Sims may be the more steady guy right now, I don't know that they're going to feel that way, you know, once the season actually starts. And they may just switch them out based on matchups too. You know, if you, you've got a a more physical, big receiver, they'll put Sims on them. If you've got a burner out there like a Deshaun Jackson or something like that, you're going to put Odori on him and just tell him to try to keep up with him. Yeah, I think you're right there too. I think it will be matchup based for sure. Let's move on to the next question here and last question in our mailbag this week. Cody Milholland asks, which player on the bottom half of the roster will you be paying the most attention to in preseason? And as a little bonus, Cody gave us his pick, uh, being Curtis Riley, a guy that he's going to be watching. But who's that guy at the bottom of the barrel that you think has a shot of making the team? Man, you know, there's so many different guys out there. I'm going to say Muhammad. He was a seventh-round pick, so whether we anybody thinks he's going to be the squad or not, he's still... Seventh round pick. He's got to see what happens with him. I think Muhammad's got that shot though because he does have speed. I, I know he's a little undersized for Ryan, but he, he he's got speed. He's a serious change of pace out of the backfield. And as much as we run the ball, we probably keep four. So he's the guy I think ends up making it. And I want to just see him get on the field and see if that translates to the NFL level. Because when you watch his highlights from college, you know you go into thinking little guy. He's going to be juking, moving around, trying not to take hits. He, he's a very physical runner. So I, I want to see in the preseason what he does because I don't think I don't expect to get to see him during the season. The biggest dark horse candidate that I can even see moving forward and and actually sticking to this roster and and maybe even you know contributing quite a bit. I've said it before, Demontre Hurst. Uh, I just learned that he's actually from Oklahoma, Glenn. I didn't know didn't yeah. know that, but I, I know him from his uh, brief time in Chicago, where my brothers had great things to say about him. He's a big Bears fan. But I do think that, um, you know, he's not going to come up and and steal a starting position. But I do think from what we've had on this team and what we currently have right now, he has a great shot of making this roster, and I do think he will contribute. Matt, I picked DeMontre Hurst on my first go-around, and I was like, I know Matt's going to say that, so I'm switching my answer. (laughs) Like, I I just didn't want to have the same answer give someone else. So I, I went with somebody else, but that was my first pick. I went with someone that was a little bit more of a dark horse, or Kevon Mabin. Uh, the UDFA that we got out of Ball State. And a lot of people overlook this guy because his 40 time was not impressive. Comes from a small school. He's 212 pounds at 6'1". He ran a 4.66, so that's pretty slow. That's not a good uh, a time to have. But he runs. I- I've gotten to see this guy 
play in person last year. He runs really clean routes. He's very strong for his size. And he's, you know, he's a pretty decent size wide receiver. He's very strong for his size. So that initial push, if he ever gets jammed, is going to be huge for Maven. That's where he's going to make a lot of his money if he sticks around in this league because he is strong. He's very strong. He's a guy that's going to be able to shake off a guy and get open quick. Now, this is a guy that I don't expect to make the roster, uh, but you know, the more I watch of him, how clean his route running is, I think is the guy that has a chance that's going to put some pressure. And I know we're really right now, sorry, sorry, we might not be a top-end wide receiving core, but we have a lot of depth right now. So it's going to be hard for him to stick around. But I think this guy's going to put pressure on the people above him. He's a talented, very talented route runner, like I said. And that is a very underrated quality in a wide receiver in today's game. And a lot of people don't talk about that, but it is huge. If you can run those clean, easy routes, you take so much pressure off the quarterback. Those are easy passes to make. You know, putting a guy up on him is a mistake because Maven's going to shake that guy in, you know, in the first five yards, and he's going to get open quick. So he might be a guy that creates kind of matchup problems for teams it's still, though, it's going to be an uphill battle for him to make the team, but that's my dark horse candidate right now. All right, uh, that's it for the mailbag, folks. If you haven't seen the mailbag, you can find it on our Facebook page, uh, Two-Tone Uncensored on Facebook. Also, we always share it in the Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook uh, fan page, so you can comment your questions and hear them live on the show. Let's jump into the news here, guys. We have a few things to talk about. First one... Uh, we were kind of talked about a little bit earlier, but definitely a weird story. Sebastian Tola, a backup guard for the team, was treated for a gunshot wound earlier this week. He was grazed by a bullet across the leg and ankle. Uh, he was released from the hospital after being treated with minor injuries. Guys, this is just coming after, you know, earlier this May, a Nashville man filed a lawsuit against Tola and Taze Sharp alleging the two were involved in an assault on April 27th. So, you know, you don't want to try to assume what's happened with Trey Tola because we haven't heard the whole story about the gunshot wound yet. But definitely doesn't bode well for a guy that isn't a starter, isn't a key contributor yet, and is causing a lot of off-season news. Yeah, you know, last season we were talking about this young man and how much we loved his attitude and that fire, and he wanted to go out there and just brawl with people on the line. Well, it looks like it's not just on the field. As I said, when we were first talking about this kind of thing, it's like, you're not even good yet, and you're out there getting in trouble. You know, you're really cutting down your odds of making the roster because your life isn't football right now. We we don't know what happened with this. We know what happened with, outside the nightclub as far as they've basically admitted that, yeah, they roughed that dude up. But then they go out to another nightclub and get grazed in the leg and ankle, which sounds an awful lot like a Plexico Burris situation to me. You know, since nothing else has come out, no one else has had anything else to say. I'm kind of wondering if the big boy shot himself. You know, it, it's it's really depressing to me that it looks like this young man's going to end up throwing his career away. And I don't want to make big assumptions about him, but that's what it feels like. It's like this is a season of stupid, and you're being awful stupid. Yeah, he's not earned his spot yet, and that should be his one and only goal is making this team at this point. You, you give these guys a little bit of money, and they just want to go out and party and, you know, and I, I kind of get that, you know, I'm, I'm 32. So my party years aren't too far behind me, but to an extent, I, if you're not established, old man, you, yeah, <laughs> is what it is. If you're not established, 
with your career and, and what you need to do to not only make more money for yourself and your family, but, you know, uh, create a legacy. I mean, that that's if I was a football player, which I'm not, but if I was, that would be what I'm concentrating my hardest to get production, get on the field, make the team and go from there. You know, whatever happens, happens. But he would rather go to the club and, and you know, the, the first incident, okay, fine, wrong place, wrong time, stuff happens, I get that, you know, caught up in the moment. And these are young these are young guys, I understand that. So if you're already put yourself in a bad position, what are you doing in this situation where you either, if he shot himself, he deserves to be cut right away, <laughs> <laughs> flat out. But, but, I mean, even if he was just in the wrong place, wrong time, I don't see how you get grazed by multiple bullets. I don't. But was it, he kung fu kicking? Yeah, I don't know. Point point is, he's his head is not where it should be, and I was on board with him last year, you know, to move forward with this team, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. See, that's the thing is, we haven't heard if it's multiple bullets yet or one bullet. We don't know if it's the ankle and leg on the same side or different. That's so true. It, it brings up the point that Glenn was talking about about shooting himself. You think about it, you're pulling a gun out. If it goes off, it could easily hit your leg and your ankle. It grazed both of them as it went to the ground if you shot yourself. Which is that, the only thing that makes any sense for that wound. Right, exactly. exactly. So that's something that like I've definitely thought of. I don't know, man. It, talent is what keeps you on the team, obviously. It doesn't matter who you are or, or what team you play for. Talent is what keeps you on the team. But when you make stupid mistakes like this, your talent starts to matter less. Now, if you're a guy that's putting up you know, great figures, like, teams will put up with this shit, but if you are a guy that, you know, is, he was a backup last year, he's a guy that doesn't pass protect very well, but he's really good on, you know, run blocking, but he's a guy that's, you know, he is expendable, he's a guy we want to try to keep around, but he is expendable, and you are making mistakes like this, you only make yourself more and more expendable, that's all you're doing, Um, so yeah, I mean, he's pushing himself off the team at this point. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I don't know. They they say they don't know if he'll be ready for camp. If you just had, if you got shot in the leg, you're not going to be in training camp. So it's a the, graze. The, it doesn't matter if there's a. <laughs> it's a flesh wound. Well, yeah, I guess I, I I have to know the whole story in order to say what I'm about to say. But if you're not competing in this training camp, you're not making this team. You haven't shown enough already, and obviously your head is somewhere else. So, you know. We talk about J-Rob and Malarkey bringing in these high-character guys. He is far from a high-character guy from what I've seen. Now, granted, okay, yeah, I don't know the whole story. But after you put yourself in that first situation and you find yourself in this second situation, put your head in the sand and just, just hang out for a little bit because that's, that's about all you can do without getting in more shit. Yeah, like I said, we don't want to hear your fucking name until you know training camp starts. Period. Nope. If you're a good character guy... Your name doesn't pop up two times like this in the off season. You know, it, it could be you know it was always like a mistake or whatever. At the very worst, you're not that bad of a guy, and you're hanging out with the really wrong crowd. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, very best. Yeah, I'm not a, a big fan of of Trey Tola. I wasn't a big fan of Trey Tola before, just you know, based off of his talents. But now, you know, obviously even less. This guy, I would go as far as to say, isn't easily not a good character guy. I mean, look at the Aaron Hernandez situation that just recently happened. I mean, like, if you don't learn from that, like, I understand some of the younger guys may not have followed the whole, 
I mean, there's so many different stories, but I was going to say Plasco Burris. That was a few years back. Maybe they're not as in tune, but you look at Aaron Hernandez who couldn't get away from the gang life. And I'm not saying he's a gang member or anything like that. I'm just saying that you should be able to see someone else who threw their life away. And you're in that same position where, no, you're not making quite as much money, but you have the potential to make a lot of money and better yourself. Why wouldn't you want to do that? I I think this guy's a lot closer to like a, a Ray Rice kind of guy than Aaron Hernandez. I mean, he's he's not out there, you know, gang banging and running shit and shooting people. But you know, except for he, himself. He's a, <laughs> well, uh, possibly he he's more of a uncontrolled anger kind of guy. You know, that that guy that punches his girlfriend, Ezekiel Elliott's kind of pushing his luck too, and he's a much more famous guy. Glenn, Sebastian's, what? he went to, he went to Arkansas, not Oklahoma. I understand this fact. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. You know, Zeke, Zeke is getting lots of flack in the media for minor things too, like punching a DJ. But he's a he's going to be a superstar. He, he's a huge deal. Sebastian, you're not. Okay, you you don't have that leash. You don't have that leeway. If if you get cut by the Titans, you will get picked up by another team somewhere but probably get cut in the offseason if they don't see exactly what they want and you don't have those tools yet. You need a couple more years just so you can have a chance to make that next contract. That needs to be your only focus is getting another contract because you're basically in your internship right now and you're in your punch in the secretary. It's not working out for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're talking about a guy too. Like, let's keep in mind, this guy's a road grader. He's a great run blocker, not good against the pass. Where else are you going to go? Like, there's not a lot of teams that you're going to be able to go to that are going to run the ball this much, That where yeah. you really fit in their system. You know, you're not going to go to teams that pass the ball more than they run because they don't need guys like you. You know, so you're really limiting yourself. You got into a perfect situation for yourself, and you're ruining it, you know, by off-the-field shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans. I hope he turns it around, but it's just there's so much shit on him right now. It's just like... Do I don't even know if we want to hear what happened because it's probably not going to be anything <laughs> that we want to hear. It's not going to be a cool story. <laughs> <laughs> he was saving some babies that were getting kidnapped and got. And, he, and he didn't want anybody to know about it, you know. So he was like, "Hey, just don't don't tell anybody. You know, I just want to be a hero on the down low." That's not what happened here. That only lends me like makes my mind think more that it was himself that shot the the bullet that grazed him because I don't know if you guys remember, but it, it took a while for that Plexico Burris information to come out at first. This is taking longer for sure, but, yeah. like, if that's what happens, like, it, so if I accidentally shoot myself, like, I'm trying to take that to the grave. I'm, I'm not releasing yeah, that information. Right. Like, that's what it feels. There's nothing. We've heard nothing besides he went to the hospital for a gunshot wound, it grazed his leg and ankle, and he has been released. That's it. That is, that's all that we know. That's all that anybody knows. <laughs> Like if I shot myself, if someone shoots me, I'm going to be like, hey, that guy shot me. <laughs> like, first thing, you know, if I shot myself, I'm going to be like, no, nah, I'm not telling anybody that. Like, that shit didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Before we got on this show, I didn't even consider that. And I and you guys have convinced me. Like, I, <laughs> now I, I think that's what happened now. Like I, I kind of think he's Cheddar Bob, man. <laughs> nice. Get him nice off the team. Pool. If, if, we, if, you, if you don't know the reference, it's 8 Mile, where Cheddar Bob shoots himself. If he shot himself and we don't cut him right away, I'm protesting. <laughs> if he, if this is what happened, you know, if we're talking about a Plexico Burris-type incident, 
Yeah, like I don't. That's not a guy you need around, especially if it's a guy that you're talking about. Like, like I said, he's he's not maybe a guy that would be your first cut, but he is expendable. He's not a guy that we need in order to win football games this year. So, I I might not be protesting out there with Matt, but I'd be like, <laughs> all right, I support what Matt's doing. <laughs> you know, l- lucky Whitehead got laid off, and he didn't even do anything. Yeah. So if, if you're backup you know, run blocking only guard shoots himself in the leg just a few months after he and your now third or fourth string wide receiver beat somebody up outside a club and then lied about it. You're pretty expendable at that point. You're not showing the, you know, what this team says they're all about. Yeah. It's all about that pattern, man. And and he's showing a pattern uh, of misconduct and you can't, you can't keep that around, but let's move on guys. We got some good news outside of, players potentially shooting themselves uh we have our our man back marcus mariota said that he is ready for full practice no limits going into training camp ready to go very excited about this news as i imagine you guys are too absolutely i knew that he was going to be ready so i'm not surprised at all by that i'm just really glad that it's actually happened that way and that you know we got our quarterback back and we're going to go out there and kick some ass yeah, I just hope we aren't putting him out too soon. I want to make sure he's 100%, you know, not not 95. We got to make sure that guy's all the way ready to go and and when he's when we need to call his number, he's he's going to light it up and he's going to have the season that we all think he is. So Now, obviously, it's a guy that you want to keep a good eye on. And I think Malarkey has done an excellent job of this all offseason. And I've said it before on the show, but you know, I was I was the guy when we signed Malarkey, when we hired Malarkey as a full time coach. I thought it was a mistake, and then I've I've eaten my words, and I'm I'm happy to say that because Malarkey's been a good coach, and the players really have responded to him, and uh, he's done a great job of bringing guys back slowly. He's done it with Corey Davis, Marcus Mariota, and that's just two examples of the many. He's done a really great job with it, and I expect him to continue that. So I'm not really worried about Mario's health right now because I think he's doing a good job of that, but. That brings us right into our next topic, guys. Mariota's decided that he is going to play this year at 215 pounds, which was the idea of his trainer. The Titans have come out earlier this year and said they prefer him about 225, 230. His trainer, Ryan Flattery of Nike, said, and this is a direct quote from him, I told him that they, can, they can't hit what they can't catch, so he should think about playing at a weight where he is the fastest. Now, guys, do you? My question to you is: Do you agree with this kind of thinking that rather than bulk up, stay small so you're faster and you can dodge opponents, or would you say bulking up is the better idea? Well, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. A wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong game. Look, the the whole idea of being faster is awesome if you're someone who's supposed to be out running around all windy nibbly. He's not. He's a quarterback. He's going to stand back there and he's going to take hits no matter how well he plays. He's going to stand back there and take hits. I would much rather him have a little bit more weight on him. And, you know, I don't I don't need Marcus running for 80-yard touchdowns on this team. I'll take it, but that doesn't need to be the plan. You know, we, we, we got these receivers and these tight ends so that he doesn't have to run around as much to make plays. His running around and making plays is secondary to his abilities as a quarterback in general. I want him to be tough enough to take those hits in the pocket being a little bit lighter would not have gotten him out of the situation where his leg got broken this last uh, season. It wasn't about speed, and it wasn't about strength. It was just dumb luck. I, I like the idea of Marcus being a little bit you know, stronger and sturdier so he can take these hits because 
people are coming for him because we have weapons now, so they have to blitz him more. And I think they're going to. He's going to take some shots this season. I'd rather have some more muscle on him. Great point. I think that, like you just touched on, last year's injury was a freak accident. I don't think there's anything we could have done to stop that, and it's just something that happened. Normally, I would like Marcus to go with what the team says. I think they have his best interest. But, you know, and and I do agree with them as far as being more durable. I think the happy medium is just play at 220. I mean, meet in the middle somewhere, keep a little bit of speed, bulk up a little bit. I mean, what did he play at last year, like 223 or something like that? Yeah, Yeah, it was around that. So, I mean, you know, maybe maybe lighten it up a little bit. But, I mean, I don't think he was – he was actually kind of jacked last season for for Mm -hmm. a portion that, that I noticed. So to, to trim it down a few pounds isn't going to make a huge difference, but I don't know if, if uh, the 215 may be too low or, or not. I, it, everybody's different. You know, his his build is his build. I don't know his body like that. I haven't studied him to uh, to the point where I'm his trainer or I'm the team doctor or, or whatever else. So I'd say meet in the middle somewhere, but we definitely need durability. The problem I see with this is making it an issue right now is the fact that a lot of outsiders – that claim Mariota's injury prone, that's going to be the focus of the season. Can he stay healthy? I don't think we need to focus on that. I don't think he personally will focus on that. I think he's smart enough to, to know that he's going to focus on winning games and, and making this team better. But for all the hype that's around this team and around him, everybody's going to be questioning his durability. Yeah, and, you know, Marcus came in jacked, like you said, beginning of the season last year, where we were all like, damn, he's got some guns on him now. But by the end of the year, he had lost some of that weight, which is what scares me out of him coming in lighter. Is he, he there's, there's some guys that they just can't hold the muscle mass on during the season because they do get worn down and they spend more time training as far as you know spending time with the trainers than they do lifting and things like that. So I, I worry about him wearing out a little bit because he doesn't have that extra muscle mass to start with. So when he does lean out a little bit more during the season – I worry about him getting smaller, and maybe he ends up playing, you know, 205, 210. Every injury that's happened to Marcus has been in the pocket. None, he hasn't gotten injured on the run. So I, I understand, the, you know, the, his trainer's mentality of, you know, they can't hit what they can't catch. But if you're standing still in the pocket, you know, obviously you're easy to get hit. Marcus has never gotten injured on the run, so his, his speed to me is not even in question. His intelligence when he's running to get out of bounds to get down is not in question. I'm with Glenn here. I don't want him to be faster than give up that weight. You know, you're talking about all of these hits happen in the pocket. That is what I'm worried about. That is durability in the pocket is what I'm worried about because when he runs, he doesn't take the the big shots that end up hurting him. To what you said, Matt... If he doesn't get injured this year, all of that injury shit goes out the window. You know, it, everybody forgets about that. Uh, you know, yeah, we're talking about NFL wide, not you know Titans fans, but that shit goes out the window. People forget about it. If he gets injured this year again, then you start talking about a guy who's injury prone and stuff. So you know, that's why I'm, I'm really hoping this year that Marcus gets through the season fine, plays 16 games, starts 16 games, and everything's kosher. You know, just because you know you don't want that tag hanging over his head because it's obviously even if you don't pay attention to it it's something you're going to hear uh but anyway i would rather have him at that you know 225 230 a little bit bulked up that way when he does get hit in the pocket and it's gonna happen every now and again you know he's not taking injuries like he has in the past (laughs) but with that let's jump to a 
commercial break. When we come back, we have Drew Bennett on the show. Very excited to sit down and talk with him. We'll be right back with Drew Bennett. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, then this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk to crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. What up, Two-Tone Nation? It's your boy Morocco, a.k.a. Morocco, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up! All right, we're very excited today to have former Tennessee Titans wide receiver Drew Bennett with us. How are you doing, Drew? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to have you, man. Our pleasure, for sure. Uh, very excited to have you on here. So let's jump into the interview here. Kind of starting back with your history as a football player. You played quarterback in high school. Uh, you had a high batting average uh, playing baseball. When you got to college, you uh, stayed with stayed with football and then eventually transitioned to wide receiver. We often see athletic quarterbacks make a position change. They, they go to wide receiver, defensive back, even tight end. Instead of talking about why you did it and how hard all that is, do you ever stop thinking of yourself as a quarterback who is now playing wide receiver? Never. That is an excellent way to look at it. I was wondering if you were going to go that way. I I always thought of myself as out of place at wide receiver. Obviously, I got much more comfortable with it. But once you are taught for years to kind of see the holistic view of the defense and to, to know whether it's zone or man or whether they're going to check the play, you, you kind of always have that mentality, and I always thought that way. And, of course, I mean, every competitive person that I played with in any sport thinks that they either know it better or can do it better. Now, obviously, that's not, I don't believe that, but there were times like, man, why did he throw that ball there? That, if I were quarterback, I would have definitely seen it this way and thrown it there or always throw it to me. That, that was always a good yeah, <laughs> a good uh, solution as well. So, no, I, I always felt I was the quarterback. Drew, you walked on at UCLA instead of taking a scholarship at Princeton. After that, you go as an undrafted free agent into the league. So I want to ask you, did being kind of overlooked put a chip on your shoulder? Did that help you throughout um, your career in football? Absolutely. If you're not expected to do anything, your your leash for opportunity when you know when the coaches have you out there is so much smaller. And in college, when you're a walk on, you know you fight your way up the depth chart. There's no reason that you can't be demoted, and no one thinks twice about it if you're not on scholarship. Especially, you know, I battled off all of these guys that they brought in scholarship quarterbacks that were a big deal in Illinois and a big deal in Florida, and they were supposed to be the next starting quarterback, and I had to you know, be up from a walk on those guys would come in and immediately put on the depth chart without ever having thrown a ball above me. And then the same with the NFL, you know, it's you're a second or third year guy that was an undrafted free agent. 
They're paying you a minimum salary. They didn't give you a signing bonus. There's no front office debate on, hey, we drafted this guy in the second round or even in the first round. He's going to be taking over for Drew because we have all this money, this time, and scouting, you know, history and, you know, invested in this player. So I always felt, you know, chip on the shoulder a little bit overlooked, but more worry that I was the first one they were going to count out if they ever needed space for someone that just for whatever reason, whether it was draft pick or they signed up for a deal, automatically moves ahead of me in, in their eyes. So I think was it Robert Smith, the running back from Minnesota? I remember early on he, you know, he had a lot of success, had a great career, but he said that every day he went into his locker, he would hope there wasn't the pink slip in there that said, "Come see the coaches." And you know, even when he was a Pro Bowl or a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer, but a uh, pro bowler, you know, he still had that mentality. And I think I kept that throughout my entire career was like, I'm going to get cut. If I drop a ball, I'm going to get cut. If I don't play well, if I don't stay healthy, I'm going to get cut. And so that's something that never left me. And we mentioned that you ended up taking UCLA as a walk on instead of Princeton. What, what went into that decision? It was funny. My parents, you know, I, I would do the same thing if I were a parent. They're, they're telling me, don't make this mistake. You don't want to go to UCLA. Princeton is a life-changing experience. And I went out to Princeton for my recruiting trip. I think it was seven degrees. You know, I'm a California kid coming out there. It was a seven-hour trip in travel with a connection and a drive and this and that. It was snowing. I didn't click real well with the guys that I was staying with out there, some of the football players. The town was kind of dead. I happened to go out there on a weekend that I guess a lot of people were out you know, of town. And I, I came back to California, went for a visit at UCLA. It's 77 degrees. There are people all over the place. It's this amazing vibe. It's an amazing city. And I just, I was like, look, I, I know you guys think I'm crazy, but I'm going to UCLA. I, I, I've decided my parents were leaving me letters on the refrigerator saying, don't make this mistake. And then fast forward a year, we're sitting on the sidewalk cafe in Venice beach with my family. It's 80 degrees in February having breakfast. It's beautiful. All these people are roller skating by and walking by. My mom says, I am so glad you came to UCLA. I'm so <laughs> glad you didn't listen to us. <laughs> so it was definitely, it was a hard decision, but I, and even looking back now, I've, I've coached all and kids kind of have a similar choice to walk on here or go to an Ivy league school. And I, I tell them, even though my path worked out really, really well, I don't think that was the wisest decision, but, you know, you got to do what you feel. Drew, I remember hearing a story, and you were talking about how, you know, you have to catch every pass, and you, you felt like you were going to be cut at any minute if you didn't perform. I heard a story that you invited all of your friends and family to your first preseason game, your first season, because you were afraid that there wouldn't be a second preseason game. Is that true? <laughs> that is absolutely true. I had probably 22 people at the first preseason game. I was the only person that was actually asking for tickets at the uh, – you know, the Wednesday ticket meeting with the ticket guy from the team, but it was great. I, it's, it's funny. My, my rookie year. So 2001, there was an undrafted or an undrafted free agent as well that named Chris Sanders, who played quarterback at university of Tennessee Chattanooga, who I'm still close with actually, but he was going to make the team just because of the way the roster worked out for quarterbacks. It was new O'Donnell McNair and then Billy Volick, who had really impressed the year before. And they were kind of grooming to become the second string guy. So he promised me, you know, we, we lived together all off season. We hung out all the time. And he's, he told me, Hey, if I get in the game and you're in there, I'm going to throw you every ball. So he's like, I'm going to get cut. It doesn't matter, but you know, who knows? Maybe we can keep you here for an extra week. If you catch a few balls. So 
Sure enough, he gets in there in the fourth quarter. I get in there in the fourth quarter. And I don't remember if it was seven or nine, but I had seven or nine catches in the fourth quarter. And he was throwing me balls that, that all all season, you know, all preseason long and practice this and that. I was like the fifth read. I was never supposed to see this ball. And I turned around and the ball would be in the air and I'd catch it. And sure enough, that's kind of what began the spiral mm-hmm. of, you know, having them play me a little bit more in the next game and a little bit more in the next game. It was, he's definitely a part of the whole story. That's, that's perfect. Is, that's I mean, awesome. <laughs> you can sit there and make, make a plan like that with a guy like, look, I'm going to get you the ball. You just catch it. That, that's beautiful. It leads me right to my next question here. You know, you joined the Titans as an undrafted free agent. They had recently been to a Super Bowl, so making that team was going to be tough for anybody in that situation. And I, I read a piece about you that uh, Eddie Matz wrote for ESPN back in 2005 when he was talking about your mentality going into that offseason and how you cheated to get more reps. I didn't know about that in the game, but he was talking about it in practice. You know, Beating a defensive back you know, who's like the 12th guy on the depth chart wasn't going to get you any attention from the coaches. You, you couldn't just take your spot and try to work your way up from there. Tell us a little about the mentality going into that and what you had to do to try to get more reps against those starter kind of guys. Yeah, you know, it's it's all the cheesy stuff your agent tells you when you get there. Like, hey, step up to the front of the line. Don't just wait there, all that stuff. And you got to swallow your pride a little bit because I'd say for every time when I was an undrafted rookie, you know, in training camp and stuff like that, you try to jump up in the front of the line against one of the top four starting defensive backs. And four out of five times, they'd be like, no, 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 get out of here. I'm, I'm not wasting my time with you. So, you, everyone, you know, everyone sees that. So you're like, oh, okay, so you kind of step back to the back of the line. But, you know, every fifth time, they're just like, okay, whatever, and they get up there, and those are your chances, right? You beat that guy for a go route. That, that, that does something for the receiver coach that watches and does something for, you know, any other coach that watches. So those little opportunities are important. And I think, too, one of the underrated things is the – relationship you have with the guys that can help you. I remember Neil O'Donnell is still a good friend of mine and it was just our interaction in the locker room that he kind of took me under his wing, which is a huge deal. I definitely would not have had the opportunities that I got in that first camp had it not been for him kind of becoming buddies. We were close to each other in lockers and he started to like me. So we'd be out of practice and he called me slim and, you know, there'd be a, a second string corner up who's a good player. And he'd be like, you know, no, no, Slim, get up there. And he'd kick <laughs> me up to the front of the line and have me do a one-on-one or it'd be a seven-on-seven period where if he didn't say this, there's no way I'd get a chance to get into the huddle for this play. And he'd say, hey, Slim, step up here, get this one. And he'd throw me the ball. So those, all those little things are what add up to at some point catching somebody's eye. Those little things like that, those little locker room interactions, just a guy, a guy saying, hey, give this guy a shot. You know, th- those are the things that get you on the coach's radar, you know, including just like in the game. And, you know, talking about him calling you slim, I, I read where the coaches put you on a crack block on a running play to stop Javon Curse. Was that a little My terrifying? My very first play. My very first team <laughs> Titans play was to motion down in the first minicamp and crack back on Javon Curse. I have no idea. This is like, you know, we had the rookie minicamp. This is full go team. And they say, all right, so you're going to motion. I'm like, well, wait, how, how fast is this? You know, like, is this full speed? What is this? And it was, I mean, it's every first experience I think a lot of guys have where I went to block him and close my eyes and I'm just standing there as he, you know, demolishes the play in the backfield. And I'm just like, what the hell happened? What was that? <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, they're, they're calling you slim, but you're going to make this guy known as the freak. That's not the matchup <laughs> that you're drawn up in the, you know, on paper going, this will work. 
Oh yeah, he he was such a fun dude. I mean, it was, those are the personalities that were really fun to be around in those years in the Titans. And um, he was a great dude. He picked me up one time when I was a rookie out in front of the facility. You know, we'd take the shuttle back and forth from the hotel that all the rookies that didn't know if they're going to make the team. You live at the hotel right there at the Metro Center. And he pulls up one time in his Mercedes with the music blaring, and I was like, "Hey, you want to ride?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, of course, I'd love a ride." Going to wait for the shuttle, so I get in the car and. I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there and he's kind of like, you know, got his hand on the steering wheel with his like shoulders open towards me, kind of just staring at me. And I'm just like, okay, what are we waiting for? And then he finally leans forward and turns the music down. He goes, when you roll with the freak, you buckle up. That's beautiful. That's like a PSA. That's funny. So, all right, we talked to Justin McCarrens last week, and uh, he told us a little bit how you guys used to joke about having nightmares about the former offensive coordinator, Mike Heimerdinger. We all know Dinger was an extremely intense guy and wanted your very best at all times. What's the best Dinger story you can give us? Oh, that's, hmm. You know, I will say, as I think about this, that I've, I've never met somebody my life that my relationship has changed more with. You know, as a rookie, he had all these guys, the Steve McNairs, the Eddie Georges, the Derek Masons, the Kevin Dysons, Frank White, you know, guys that he couldn't yell at. That's just kind of the nature of the NFL is once you're established and you make more money than the coach, you know, you, you have to be very delicate about how you coach and how you yell. And the rookie free agent that he can just snap his fingers and I'm gone, he can say whatever he wants to. So I feel like a lot of my initial few years and Justin well, was Dinger taking out a lot of the frustration he had with the rest of the offense on the two of us. So it was just, I think, Justin, I mean, the one that pops in my head is probably um, McCarron's, Eddie Berlin, and myself all at the Titans golf tournament. And we're out on the range, you know, as rookie after our rookie season, when, when the relationship hasn't changed. I mean, Dinger became, ended up becoming one of my favorite people ever played for but you know we're still all just deathly frightened of the guy can't stand him scared of him and uh he comes out we're all hitting on the range hitting totally fine everyone's you know hitting the ball really far having a good time and he walks out and drops his bag down right next to us (laughs) and he's standing behind us so we can't see it but i top my ball eddie whiffs and justin almost whiffs (laughs) you know like totally so all three of us in a row so rattled and Dinger standing behind us, he's like, so what you guys think of me, huh? It's like, yep, that's it. We've had enough at the range. We're out of here. <laughs> it's definitely time to uh, find something else to do with our time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, oh, range time's over. Now, he came in one time when I was a rookie, and I was standing with a bunch of veterans in the weight room. And we had lost, and I'd only played a few plays. I had, like, one catch. I thought, hey, I, I played a decent game. I didn't really make any mistakes. I blocked when I was supposed to. I caught the ball that was thrown to me. And he's like, I see him open the door in the in the weight room and like look around, look around, and then he catches my eyes and he makes a beeline straight down for me. And there's you know 30 guys in the weight room, and he comes over to me so mad. He's like, "What in the you know was that post route you ran?" But just like so <laughs> irate, and then just turns around and storms out. And I'm standing next to I think Kevin Carter, and he's like, "What was that all about?" And that's kind of when I I was like. I, I don't know, actually. I thought I played pretty well in, like, a post route. I thought I ran it like he wanted me to. And that was kind of when I figured out, like, you know what? I think he really wanted to come in here and yell at everybody else, but I'm the only guy that's just going to take it. <laughs> and be like, whatever, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Take one for the team. No choice. <laughs> you talked about, you know, you're coming into an offense when you get with the Titans that has the likes of Steve McNarity, George, Derek Mason, those guys. But focusing on McNair and George, you know, those were two were the set leaders of this offense. How were their leadership styles, you know, similar and different between the two? You know, it's, they, they were very, very different. Um, those are two of like some of the off the field stuff that obviously McNair, you know, he was just such a professional as far as making sure he was prepared and supporting his teammates. And, you know, people always use kind of the cheesy, a guy you can lean on, but really he, I've never met anybody that exuded as much confidence and not in an arrogant or overly confident way in the huddle, you know, especially in some of the early years where we would, I mean, there was a season, I think the season we went 12 and four in like 2002 or 2003, we were down in almost every game in the fourth quarter and he would step into the huddle and there was just something about him that was so motivating and so inspiring without saying a word, without any rah-rah stuff, he would just get in the huddle and his, the way he handled himself and the thing he said and how he controlled the huddle and the game and the decisions he made was just so awesome. So he, you know, he led in that fashion, like, Hey guys, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be there. I'm going to make you better. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to help you guys feel confident in the situation and, and make us all better. And then Eddie was, you know, not that a rah-rah thing is bad, but he was a guy that was very vocal. He led by example and, you know, types of things. Like he was the last guy in the weight room every day. He was the first guy out to practice. You could tell he took his preparation and his, you know, body very seriously to make sure that he was, you know, to the best, you know, never wanted to come off the field, you know, the tough guy. That So those two guys, I don't know if they're, you know, there's the combo of those two types of personalities together in the huddle and how they fed off each other and picked up where the other left off was really, uh, was really a special duo. I got to ask you, I, I've heard the story before. Is it true that McNair would nap before every single game? Every single game. Did you guys ever mess with him at all or? Or no way, man. Are you kidding me? You don't want to, that, especially the seasons we're doing well, man. You don't want to break that superstition. You know what I mean? That's yes, true. You, you know, he he's don't a mess country guy. So he told us, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, exactly. So he would get up at five every day. And I think during the games or during day games, or sorry, during game day, he would go over with Joey, who I think still works there as an equipment guy, and they would throw at like 6 o'clock in the morning for a noon game or maybe 7 o'clock in the morning for a noon game. He'd go out and do the same routine with him, and then he'd come in and get an IV and take like a two-hour nap for the games. And so it was always funny with the coaches coming in like, hey, is he awake yet? You know, I mean, how is that? They come into the training room and the <laughs> offensive coordinator wants to discuss some game plan. Like, hey, is Steve awake yet? Nope, he's still napping. Okay, I'll come back later. Like, is that that's, really happening right now? <laughs> that's awesome. That is star power right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so in 2004, you had a three-game stretch where you caught 28 passes for 517 yards along with eight touchdowns. That also set a record tied Jerry Rice. What was it about those three games that allowed you to perform at such a high level? The confident answer is that we were in situations that I remember standing in one of those huddles and Benji Olsen, the right guard, and myself were the only offensive starters that started the first game of the season. So we were just, that season we were so decimated by injuries and, you know, our running game was pretty poor. 
we were down almost all the time in those games. And so situationally we had to throw the football, which was part of it. But the other part is like, I've always felt that I was that ready. And I've always felt, you know, at least when I was healthy like that, I always felt that if somebody threw me the ball six times a game, I was going to have 10, 12 catches, you know, and that just happened to kind of be the perfect storm where, I mean, I think Billy threw for, in his first two starts, Billy V who got the nod when McNair went down was, you know, like 496 yards and 436 yards passing in his first two games. So it was definitely a, a situation that I think anyone would have had some big numbers and we clicked really well. He and I were definitely on the same page and everything. And I don't know, it's just an opportunity to really kind of show what we could do if we threw the ball every time. I mean, yeah, like you just said, one of those games against Kansas City was, you know, your 12 receptions, 233 yards and three touchdowns to go with it. Um, I believe that was a Monday night game as well. Was that maybe your most memorable game of your career? Yeah, definitely stat-wise, and especially because it was a Monday night and you know, they had the horse trailer and all that stuff like that. I actually – so it was towards the end of the season, I guess, which is fantasy football playoff time. So I was always the guy that would go through all my mail kind of a little bit after the fact. You know, I'd pick up a bucket and go through it in, in March or whatever. But in, like, February, I was going through my mail, and I had a letter and a $10 check from a guy that did this whole – he explained the whole story saying – it was my fantasy football Super Bowl. I was down 40 points going into the Monday night game, and I only had you left as a receiver. And you said the guy that I was playing against said, dude, it's, it's over. Like, receivers don't get 40 points. Just give me the, you know, send me the money. And he said, no, Drew Bennett, I'm going to pay him 10% of my winnings when he goes off. And so the, the two thirty-three and three touchdowns ended up being 41 points. You know, this is all <laughs> in the letter. And he sent me, and he had a $10 check. And so I wrote, thank you on the memo line and cashed it. That's awesome. <laughs> you cashed the check. Hell yeah. Well yeah, earned. That was, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. So it was, it was yeah, it was a, that was a very fun time. I mean, in, in all sports, right, confidence is a big, big part of success. And, you know, with, with that run, I mean, I, it was one of those things where sometimes you get up on the line and you're like, oh, man, I hope I can get open or, oh, I hope I don't drop this. And that was. Every time I lined up, I was hoping somebody was going to throw me the ball, and I just felt like, you know, it's, it's a fun time. Nobody, nobody can guard me. That kind of that kind of stuff. It's, you know, the zone or whatever people talk about. It was it was a fun time. Like you said, the team was decimated by injuries, but it gave some some of you guys a chance to step up there and really show what you had. And Billy looked like he was going to be the next guy taking over for Steve. Uh, were you at all surprised when they drafted Vince Young? instead of giving Billy more chances? Because his stats looked awesome. You know, you kind of explained a situation where he, you had to throw the ball, so you're going to put up numbers. But did, did you think that he was going to really get that shot, or did you kind of see Vince Young coming? No, you know, I think one of the misconceptions is, you know, I don't know how much was public back then, but I think Billy, you know, kind of decided to make a move on his own with his agent before he really would have gotten the chance had he not said anything. You know, there was a lot of pressure on him when they drafted Vince Young. And, you know, I can only imagine I, I had guys drafted that were slotted to come in and take my spot. And I don't think there's any doubt that Vince would have at some point gotten his opportunity to be the franchise quarterback. You don't draft a guy third overall and not have long-term plans for him. But I think that Billy jumped the gun a little bit on trying to get out of town and trying to get traded Whereas Vince was not, you know, not ready to play as, as any rookie quarterback would be. 
after three weeks of training camp when Billy decided that he needed to jump ship. And I think if Billy stuck around and played that season, he had the skills and he had the understanding of the offense to be very successful. And as in with all NFL players, not just playing for your team, you're playing for that next contract. And had Billy played out that year and played like I think he was capable of playing and been the starter and been mature about the situation where he knows he's going to get replaced at some point where he knows, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I think the path is different for him and who knows what the next contract's like. Uh, you know, he had a very successful career. I think he played 12 years and he did all those years backing up and staying healthy in San Diego. But I definitely think about that. And I know he does. Had he just not, uh, you know, jumped the gun so quick to get out of town and try to find something before he had an opportunity to play for, you know, he would, there's no question he would have played that whole season and been the starting quarterback. And who knows, you know, if you, if a guy throws for 4,000 yards, they're not going to replace you. You know, you're either going to go sign a huge deal somewhere else, or you're going to, they're going to hold that third quarterback behind you until there's an opportune time. So I don't know. It was a little frustrating. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I, I remember I was in uh, Minneapolis whenever y'all were playing the the Vikings one year and Steven, you know, it was fighting all those chest injuries and he, he got speared and he went out and Billy came in and, you know, the, the Vikings fans around there were, you know, I, I was me and my uh, Javon Kirst jersey at the time. Well, it wasn't Javon Kirst. I don't remember who I had on, but I, I was I'm the only guy there in a the Titans jersey surrounded by them. And I, the, you know, the big Vikings guy with the horn and all that. I was like three rows behind oh, yeah. him. So, you know, there, there's endless, I mean, to say, there were lots of words between the two of us going on there. And, and <laughs> Billy was coming in and I told them, you know, it's not over yet. It, it didn't turn out to be one of Billy's finest games. But yeah. he, he played well enough that they were like, hmm, he's got something there. So I really did think Billy had a chance. And like you said, I kind of wish he would have stayed around and fought Vince because I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, Vince Young uh, drafting him in the first place. Uh, n- nothing against the guy. It's just I, I didn't think he fit what we needed for the team. And I thought Billy could have been that guy for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, I, I underestimated the amount of drama that goes into draft picks, especially when they're up in that top five range too, right? I mean, from the inside that I heard, it was like Bud wanted one, you know, one draft pick, you know, Bud wanted Vince and that's, you know, the end all say all Norm Chow wanted Matt, Le- Matt Liner. He was the OC at the time, you know, uh, I think Fisher, this is all hearsay, right? I was never told any of this is kind of what I just heard to the grapevine, but he wanted Jay Cutler. You know, there was, a lot of uh, inner workings going on on who that draft pick was going to be. And it really makes you wonder, you know, how history would have been a little bit different. Because as we know, you know, Vince and Matt, they didn't work out so well in the NFL long term. But, you know, Cutler, for whatever faults he has, he still had a pretty long career. So that could have been a completely changed the face of the Titans. No question. No question. All right, Drew. We had Justin McCarron's on last week, and we asked him who his funniest teammate was. And he said it was you. He actually said that Drew Bennett is a walking ray of sunshine was his exact words. <laughs> so would you say that, that he's 100% right, you were the funniest guy on the team, or is there someone in there in that locker room that could challenge you? Oh, man, no. There were, there were so many personalities in that locker room. You know, the shame of it is I, there was a guy that was an undrafted free agent that was a running back, and I don't even remember what year it was or what. Sadly, I don't remember his name because, again, he got cut, but – throughout the entire preseason where you're supposed to do rookie shows, they kind of just let those go. And this dude would just go up and impersonate all the coaches and all the players. And I've never laughed so hard. And the guy has a gift. He has to be doing acting or comedy or something around because it was incredible. 
Um, you know, the, the, he could watch a coach one time at practice and then do all of his mannerisms, all of his faults. You know, it was amazing. Justin was funny because Justin was, they called him the angry receiver because he was a very serious looking physical specimen that, you know, played angry and, you know, was just, you know, a very athletic, muscular guy. And I definitely broke him down a little bit as far as not being so serious at practice and on the field, not in a bad way where he wasn't paying attention or anything, but when we were rookies, I'd always come up behind him and put my arms around his like shoulders, like, what's up, buddy? And he would always be like, dude, they're going to take a picture of us. You can't do that. And I said, Justin, you're so paranoid. So I put my arm around him one day and I'm like, Hey buddy, like squeeze his head towards mine. And he goes, I'm serious. They're going to take a picture of us. You can't. And I'm like, who cares? And the next day in the paper, there was a picture of our heads together and my arm around him, like with both of our faces, totally choosing, like we're giving each other a hug. And he called me in the morning. He's like, thanks man. That's exactly what I was trying to like, That's a great photo. What are you talking about? Like that's great publicity no, right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, other funny guys. I'm trying to think. Um, you know, guys that the, the funniest guys for me were always the guys that didn't try to be funny, like Benji Olson. He wasn't never. He you know he was a funny guy, but he was never trying to be funny. It was when he was best. He'd complain about something and do the kind of things where he'd just be really funny in front of the team. He'd complain about something and everyone would just die laughing. <laughs> and he'd be like, "What? What did you guys? What was so funny?" <laughs> So this next one, I don't care if it's in the college days or pro days, however you want to look at it, but what was the most intense stadium as far as crowd noise and everything that you've ever played in? Um, most intense stadium. We played – so oh, I'll give you a kind of a list. How about that? Because it's hard to remember exact. But actually at Oregon in college was a very noisy – fun place to play Ohio state, obviously in college, but then Seattle, uh, Baltimore, when we played them in the playoffs in 2000, you know, 2002 season, I think 2003 playoffs. Yeah. Um, that, that was an experience for the energy levels in night game, you know, night games are always so much more fun. Uh, that that was, was a night playoff game. That was uh that was an epic, you know, game back and forth. And that was loud. Um, and then, not a very no. I mean, it is a noisy stadium. All these places get noisy, but as far as atmosphere, when we played in the AFC Championship game in Oakland, that was about as hostile a crowd as I've <laughs> ever been a part of. As far as the batteries being thrown, and when we pulled into that, this isn't the only time, and this happened several times when we played in Oakland. But as we're driving the buses into the stadium, you know, this is what three hours before the game. Mm. I'd say that our bus alone got hit by five beer bottles. You know, people in the parking lot just absolutely heaving beer bottles and, like, cracking the glass. And, you know, we pulled into, this is a true story, a uniformed cop that was holding the gate open for our buses is giving us the bird. <laughs> so, like, it, it was just, you know, like, we are not safe. This is awesome, and we are not safe. So that atmosphere with, I don't know if you guys followed back then, but all my buddies are there because I'm from out, you know, California. So there were a ton of people that I was friends with that were in the parking lot. And they said at one point Metallica pulled up in a <laughs> semi and pulled what? the side of the semi open in the parking lot. Nobody knew they were coming and played like six or seven songs while they're heavy stuff, shut the side of the semi and drove out of the parking lot. I mean, the whole atmosphere. So, you know, we're in there warming up and I'm like, is that, that sounds like Metallica. Who's blasting Metallica? Out there? <laughs> That's awesome. 
So you know, those those places are were all were all good memories. Like uh, it was fun. That's crazy. Matt just asked you about uh, the stadiums that were fun to play in, but what was uh, I wanted to ask you the team that you really you really wanted to beat when you played them? If you had to pick any team when you played, and it can be college and the pros. That team that you just wanted to beat so bad. Um, team that I wanted to beat so bad. Let me think here. Well, I mean, it goes without saying for USC in college, but I didn't even play that much football. I didn't. I would. I didn't even play really in college, so that wasn't as meaningful. Um, the Colts. And this, you know, we, I think the first year, first year, first two years that I was in the NFL, I was a little bit different divisions than it is now. And we were in the Steelers division. And I would say that early on it was the Steelers because they were kind of the hard nosed team that had the physical defense that would always, you know, the undrafted free agent receiver was never going to, you know, do anything against them in the media all week. So definitely not that you need to get up for any football games, you only play 16, but I definitely, you know, would earmark that one. You know, we had such a rivalry with Indy, but man, Peyton Manning, I what a jerk. I that guy just smoked <laughs> us every time. You know, it didn't matter how much he got up and how you're like, Oh, we're gonna do this, he just he couldn't beat that guy. And then personally what's that? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say personally, my second year in the NFL was when the Titans started having the Miami Dolphins come up for training camp. And I don't know what it was about Sam Madison and Patrick Sertain, who were their two corners, but we would fight all the time, every time. They came up for three years in a row, and we fought at least two or three times every time they came up. So when we played them in the regular season, it was a bitter, bitter battle outside. You know, like eye gouging, choking, cheap shots, all that stuff, all game long, and it was just bitter. So that was, for me personally, that was the game that I wanted to win more than any other game. Yeah, the, the the Peyton Manning statement right there, you you just top of the list. <laughs> Everybody that you – know, all, all of our listeners are going to be like, he, he's the best guest you guys have ever had. <laughs> what a jerk. Oh, what I, a jerk. <laughs> Screw that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, wouldn't want to play for that guy, but what a frustrating dude. I, I just – and I would always complain that their receivers. I was like, they have it so easy. They don't motion. They don't switch sides. They don't even have to go to the huddle. You know how much running that would save you if you didn't do mm-hmm. any of that stuff? You know, jog back to the huddle, and then and then they just stand out there, and they don't even have to raise their arms above their head. The ball yeah. just hits them in between the numbers. Every time they turn around, it's like, I, oh, I didn't like that guy. Yeah, we're, I was going to say, it's it's like cheating. It's like when, when Tom Brady's throwing to guys, and they just, they just kind of put your hand out in front of you. The ball's going to hit you in the hands. It's not That's not receiving. He was unbelievable. He was pain- unbelievable. I mean, in his prime, those guys literally, they, the ball was in their chest every time. It was incredible. I just brought this point up the other day. I'll ask you, is Peyton Manning the best quarterback you've ever seen play? Yes. So I've had this debate multiple times with multiple people, and I would say that my description, because I think Brady's the other guy that steps into that argument, and I think if I were to pick one quarterback to win a game, I would take Tom Brady without question. But if I were a receiver that said, I want the quarterback over the course of my career that's going to help me flourish better than any other player, I would without question take Peyton Manning. I agree. 100%. So, you know, I know those are, that's hard to decipher between those two, but those, that is how I would describe those two quarterbacks. So if I was like, Hey, I want to get drafted or become an undrafted free agent on a team. It would have been with Peyton Manning in his prime without any hesitation. Good answer. Strong answer. Yeah. Uh, who was the hardest cornerback to beat? Who was the one guy that the just corner- gave you fits? 
Well, so I have two stories. One, he was not, so I got to play against Deion Sanders, like his last year it was my first year. And this, I was in the slot. I release off the ball inside and he literally just tackles me. I mean, like grabs by the throat, <laughs> you know, grabs by the jersey and by the throat and swings me down. And I do kind of this almost hit the ground spin and the ref is right there. And I'm like, are, are you serious? There's no flag. And he goes, the ref literally told me that's Deion Sanders. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? I'm not throwing a flag against prime time. Like, this is his last season. You know, so, uh, you know, I think also the the kind of the awe factor when we used to play against Chris McAllister in his Baltimore days, the, the University of Arizona corner that was a big dude. You know, he was six two, whatever, six one, two hundred fifteen pounds. And man, I you know, as a rookie and a second year guy, when I played against him, I had a tough time with him because he was he was everything. You know, he's big, fast, strong, physical, quick at the line. Yeah, that that was a learning experience. At the end of your career, towards the end of your career, um, you end up leaving Tennessee and going to St. Louis and playing for the Rams for a while, uh, for two seasons. Um, going, what went into that choice to end up going to St. Louis? You know, it's just money. You know, you play, the NFL is kind of a tale of two-story or, you know, two careers. It's your early career where, you know, I'm not going to say underpaid in the in context anything else, but compared to other guys in the league, you know, you I was on you know four three years of minimum contracts compared to other guys, and you know I was a starter for a year and a half of that, and and then so you know it's it's really a small window of opportunity to earn that type of money, and I just went where I thought I could fit in with a good role, and where I'd maximize what they were willing to pay me, and you know they were much. You know they were they they were offering a lot more than the Titans were willing to to resign me. So it it wasn't a difficult decision because that was the most motivating factor. You know you look back now how things played out there and the I think the undervalue of continuity. You know I went there and I didn't have a relationship with the trainers. I didn't have a relationship with the town with the city. It wasn't really a football town. They didn't support the team like they did in Tennessee. I didn't have the community relations with you know, the charities that I'd started and, you know, the, the media and all that, you know, all of that stuff was very underrated. And I definitely think back now to, you know, what would have happened if we'd gone back and, you know, to my agent and said, look, just try to get as close as you can to this contract that St. Louis has offered and to stay here in Tennessee, you know, what, how it would have played out. Cause my time in St. Louis was miserable. We were on a bad team. I couldn't stay healthy in part because of, you know, I, I had some knee problems and in Tennessee, they managed that so well. And they, I got practices off and they were always asking for my update and, and, you know, helping me manage through a season where in St. Louis, it was, no, no, you're going to practice every day. We yeah, whatever about that. And I just couldn't stay healthy. So very frustrating experience. And like I said, if, there's no question if the money was equal, it would have been a no brainer, but I, I kind of wish now that I've gone back and you know, just seeing how close we could have gotten to the same numbers in order to stay in Tennessee. All right, Drew, we're going to head into the speed round here. We got some questions for you. You ready? Let's do it. All right, your favorite play of your career? Uh, catching a touchdown in Houston on fourth and twelve from McNair to win the game. No question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you still follow the Titans or you know an NFL team in general? I still follow the Titans. I don't follow the NFL as closely as I used to, but I do check the Titans website and definitely try to make it to a few of their games every year. 
who was the most intimidating player you ever played with or against? I mean, just like, you know, everything about them was a challenge. Adrian Wilson, the safety from the Arizona Cardinals. He told me one time I didn't want to mess with him, and I agreed. <laughs> I said, you're right. <laughs> uh, who is the most underrated Titan you ever played with? Hmm. Most underrated Titan. Peter Sermon, middle linebacker. That's a good answer. We're fans of Peter. <laughs> yeah, he's he just he was the most cerebral football player I've ever played with, and he was the guy out there coaching everybody to get in the right spots and knew it all. So he was he was definitely underrated. You talked a little bit about fantasy earlier. Uh, do you play fantasy, and did you play when you were in the league? No, I never played when I was in the league. I've got a fantasy league now with some family and friends that we do. It's pretty it's pretty low budget, you know. I'm. I do a lot of uh, leaving guys on buys on their week that they're you know, supposed to be out of the roster, but it still keeps me engaged a little bit with, you know, who's home and things like that. You're that guy. <laughs> that guy <laughs> I, in the uh, league. Also, my whole family is too. At the end of the season, it's just like four guys playing seven guys. <laughs> <laughs> I kicked my dad out of my fantasy league for doing that. <laughs> that may be a little hardcore, but I did it. <laughs> no, it's, it ruins it for everybody else, right? You could be like getting somebody else to win and, but no, we we got to find some sort of punishment, but it's it's hard to enforce the punishment. It really is. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about this earlier with McNair having a superstition. Did you have any of your own? I don't think anything. Well, yeah, actually, I was a very superstitious guy, so I shouldn't say that. Um, but mine were nothing major. It was just I always slept in the same bed in the hotel room, same time for everything, same bus. You know, I would get ready and get stretched by the same trainer every time I would do the same warm up, you know, all of those things. And I think almost everyone has a, some people call it a routine. Some people call it superstition, but I definitely needed to do those things. I had, uh, I would, I would call my brother. He called it his karma call. I would talk to him every Saturday night before a game for my entire career. So, you know, things like that, that I, again, some people would call it a routine, but I, I definitely was superstitious. That those things needed to happen for me to be successful. All right, Drew, last question here. We asked Justin last week for his best McNair story, so we're going to ask you the same question here. What was your best McNair story from playing with him? Okay, so let's see, 2002 or three, I don't remember. We were playing, I think it was around Christmas time, against the Pittsburgh Steelers at home, and McNair's wife's father, I think, passed. You know, and this was like during his back, you know, he had all these back issues. So he'd be gone seeing a back specialist the week before for two days and then would come back and literally lay on his stomach before, you know, during practice because his back hurt too much to stand up. And he'd be like, dude, McNair is not playing. And then sure enough, Sundays he'd be out there and playing well. So he's gone the entire week of Pittsburgh. We don't see him one time, not in the facility, not the practice. He's not in any meeting, nothing. I mean, the guy is nowhere to be found. Saturday night before the game, it's, you know, 8 o'clock and the offensive media is up and he walks in and sits down next, like, a couple seats away from me and, uh, is it Heimerdinger? I think Heimerdinger hands him the offensive playbook for the week and he opens it up and just starts flipping through the pages like he's looking at a menu, going pretty <laughs> quick. And I'm like, uh, Mac, you, you, we, and he goes, oh yeah, buddy, don't worry. It's all the same stuff. I've already seen it all. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so sure enough, next day, like 263 yards, three touchdowns, didn't miss a read, didn't miss a blitz, you know, nothing. 
That's what they were like, Mac, you weren't kidding. He's like, man, they can call it whatever they want, but it's all the same stuff. Like, it's no big deal. <laughs> he was awesome. He was. He was. Yeah. Well, all right, man. We really enjoyed this. I mean, uh, anytime you feel like coming back, you're more than welcome. We we definitely enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, man. It's always fun to reminisce about the good old days. You guys uh, let me know if you need me to hop on again. Absolutely. absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Perfect. man. Thank Perfect. you so much. All right, guys. Another big thanks to Drew Bennett for coming on the show with us. That was an awesome interview. Definitely looking forward to having him back on the show very soon. Some real quick things like we go through every week. Buy a raffle ticket, folks. If you buy a raffle ticket, you get a chance to win tickets to the Week 9 game against the Baltimore Ravens. chance to come on the show and give season prediction at the beginning or right before the beginning of the season. You also can enter for a chance to win a shout-out on the show like we do all the drops with all these players. And another thing that you can win is a chance to be in the TTU Fantasy football league there's only one spot left so whoever uh, wins in that raffle gets that spot some great prizes there as always check us out on ttupodcast.com and if you go there you go to the store that's probably the easiest way to buy the tickets you can go in the store click how many tickets you want uh, and, and purchase them real quick so very simple there as always thanks to my awesome co-hosts matt and glenn thanks big thanks uh, to Drew Bennett for coming on the show. And thanks everyone out there for making this show possible. Tighten up. Tighten up. Yeah. Yeah. When you roll with the freak, you buckle up. Thanks for listening to the Two Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.